3: Back in the 70s on WNYC, New York's public radio station. You could tune in on Saturday mornings and hear Diane Wolkstein. Diane would tell folktales, myths, legends, these ancient stories she'd collect from various traditions around the world.
2: The show was called Stories from Many Lands. They really were stories from all over the world. So Estonian stories, African stories, Jewish folktales, fairy tales. Mostly it was her alone, but sometimes it was her with musicians.
3: This is Diane's daughter, the poet and writer
2: Rachel Zucker. It was a really kind of formative part of my childhood to get to go with her to the studio, a studio very similar to the one that we're in now, and listen to her record.
4: Good morning. I'm Diane Wokestein. This morning, I'd like to tell you three American folk tales. The first story we'd like to start with is called. The elephant who liked to smash small cars.
2: So she told stories, which is different than reading them, schools, libraries, for adults, for children, all over the country, all over the world.
4: You sing it with us. Smashing cars, smashing cars, how I love to smash small cars.
2: That was a deeply important part of her life, she started doing that before I was born, and then when she became a mother, uh, I became part of
3: that. Rachel was born in 1971, and her mom's radio show lasted until 1980. And for most of her childhood, Rachel would come along to these tapings. She'd sit on the floor, sometimes drawing, and watch her mom perform. It was Rachel's job to be quiet while her mom was being loud.
4: And soon, every cat in the church was
1: fighting. meow! <laughs>
2: To say that my mother was not like the other mothers at Jewish day school is a profound understatement.
4: And out the kitchen door trotted a female donkey.
3: This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Andrea salenzi The stories Diane used to collect and publish and tell, think Grimm's fairy tales, before they get polished up by Disney. Often at the end, everyone's not okay. Kids get lost or traded for firewood or eaten. Kids can kill their parents. And remarkably, the story that Rachel's about to tell us today, about her relationship with her mother, feels an awful lot like one of these fables.
4: You sing it with us. Smashing cars smashing First, I want to tell you a bit about Diane before
3: she was a mom, before she had a radio show. Diane grew up in suburban New Jersey, and when she was 23 years old, she flew to Paris to study pantomime. And one day in Paris, she was riding home on her red Vespa. It was the mid-1960s, and she had an epiphany. She was done with pantomime. She wanted to tell stories out loud for a living. She moved back to New York, and she had an idea about how to get a job there.
2: So she went to the head of the Parks Department and said, you need an official storyteller, and I'm that person, and you should just pay me. That's all it took. Diane Wilkstein became the official storyteller of New York City. It was really important to her that storytelling be free and that it be a part of— that that someone, let's say, walking by in Central Park, if there was a weekly storytelling, without seeking it out, they would have the opportunity to come and sit down and hear stories— It was also really important that it was stories for all ages, you know, not the kind of birthday party stories that we sometimes see where there's like entertainment for kids and the adults, that's the time that they go use their cell phones or have coffee or wine, that you would sit with your kid and this would be. What in other cultures lasted much longer, which is a real kind of gathering of families in the tribe and hearing stories because you need them in a very deep way, not so much as like distraction or entertainment.
3: Diane got married to her high school sweetheart, Bernie, a guy who, according to family lore, saw her for the first time at summer camp when he was 17, she was 15, and told the guy standing next to him that she was the woman he'd marry. The guy he told her boyfriend at the time. Back then, Bernie also had dreams of becoming a novelist. But when Rachel was born, he set his dreams aside and focused on the family jewelry business. In the meantime, Diane was publishing two story collections and hosting a radio show. She was becoming a major figure in the American storytelling revival. This footage comes from a movie about
4: Diane's life. Diane Walkstein, who is a professional storyteller, skillfully weaves the Anderson web of intrigue. Her skill at the ancient art has earned Diane the title, official storyteller of New York City.
1: A position she created herself four years ago by forcefully cajoling the New York City government into paying her.
2: One of the weird things about my life is that a lot of my childhood has been sort of documented, like, from the side, because the ways in which I see my own life present or or not present through my mother telling her own story. The film is called A Storyteller's Story. Diane actually made it herself.
4: I went to Haiti on vacation with my husband and 10-month-old daughter.
2: I heard So in that movie, she describes going to Haiti and just falling in love with it and falling in love with the storytelling.
4: The whole room was packed. Uh, There was no distance between the storyteller. There was no podium. At the exciting parts, everybody would jump out of their seats. I went home that evening. I told my husband, I said, I don't think I can leave.
2: And saying to my father, I just can't leave. He said,
4: why leave? I said, I can't just stay. He says, why don't you?
2: Diane's talking about not wanting to
3: leave Haiti. But the family had a flight booked to New York the next day. If
4: it's so wonderful. I said, it is. He said, well, stay. Stay. I said, but you're leaving tomorrow. He says, that's okay. You stay, and I'll take Rachel home.
2: And then my father
3: flies home with me. Diane eventually joined Rachel and her dad back in New York. But she traveled often. In the summer, Rachel and her dad would come along with her. And when
2: Rachel was old enough, it would just be her and her mom. I'm an only child, and I, I was pretty portable, and my dad was really supportive. Rachel and her mom went
3: back to Haiti many times. Her mom learned to speak an impressive Creole. They went to Bali, Peru, Iceland, France, Israel, Scotland, and all around the
2: Lake District in England. And when she wanted to go without me, she just went. She was away a lot. I think she hoped that it was ultimately better to have an interesting and self-fulfilled mother than a mother who stayed home and resented it.
3: When Diane was home in their brownstone in Greenwich village, Rachel doesn't remember spending much time with her. They usually didn't eat together. Diane was always in her office, working on her books, typing, doing vocal exercises, practicing guitar, and telling stories in front of her two full-length mirrors.
2: I felt when I was with her that she was often thinking about something else and wanting to be doing something else and that if I wanted to be there, I needed to be quiet and I needed to let her do what she needed to do.
4: Hello, I'm Diane Wolkstein, and today I'd like to tell you stories from Haiti.
3: One of the most famous stories Diane told is Haiti's version of the Cinderella story, with a little Jack and the Beanstalk. It's called the Magic Orange
2: Tree. And in Haiti, you have to you have to ask permission to tell the story. So you say "creak," "creak," and if the audience wants you to tell it, they shout back "crack," "crack," and it can go on all night. The story
3: is about a stepmother and stepdaughter fighting over oranges until one day the stepdaughter discovers she has her very own magic orange tree. Rachel's heard the story
4: so many times. The magic orange tree. Orange tree, grow and grow and grow. It's such a deep
2: story about the stepmother who is really evil and doesn't care for her daughter
4: stepmother is not real mother orange tree once there was a girl whose mother died when she was born her father waited to remarry and when he did he married a woman so mean and cruel
2: there were some days she would not give the girl anything to eat the girl was often hungry I think it's a real misunderstanding to think that, like, the stepmother is just the woman who marries your father after your mother has died. It's, the stepmother is in all mothers, and, and it's an aspect of motherhood um, that I think we all feel at some point or another. One day, the girl came home from school and saw on the table three
4: round, ripe oranges. Mmm, mmm, they smelled good. The girl looked around her. No one was there. She took one orange, peeled it, and ate it. Mmm, mmm,
2: it was good. It's painful to admit that there is a competition for resources. Even between mothers and their own children, and certainly between mothers and other mothers, and between women and other women. And it's a fantasy that you don't have feelings that are really shameful to admit or that you don't have moments where you know you're choosing yourself over your kid, your job over your kid, your art over your kid, your husband over your kid, your lover over your kid, whatever it is, where you become that stepmother or you have that aspect of your stepmother.
4: The moment the stepmother saw the golden oranges in the girl's arms, she seized them and began to eat them. Soon she had finished them all. Tell me, my sweet,
2: she said to the girl. Where have you found such delicious oranges? And there are moments where, as the child, you're not sure if your parent means you good or harm. And at what point do you make a decision to trust or to basically say, I am in this alone and I need to take care of myself?
4: Orange tree, grow and grow and grow, orange tree. Orange tree, grow and grow and grow. Orange tree, stepmother is not real mother. Orange tree. Now you sing with me. Orange tree, grow and grow. And Rachel mostly fended for herself as a kid.
3: She never had friends. Her parents didn't arrange playdates. Never got involved in her school.
2: I did have some insight into uh, the fact that my mother was handling motherhood differently than other mothers, and that. There were times when I felt unsafe and that other people also seemed really concerned.
3: Rachel remembers overhearing a babysitter yelling at her mom for leaving Rachel in the tub alone. There's a trip where Diane fell asleep in the airport during a layover and left Rachel on the plane.
2: And then when Rachel was 13, she had surgery. And it was a a serious operation. I had an extra rib and I had it removed and I had general anesthesia. I was in the hospital for a few weeks. When Rachel woke up from surgery, her mom wasn't there. Instead, there was a babysitter. She was never abusive. She was never cruel. But there was something that I felt like was, was fundamental to what you need to give a child for the child to really feel seen and safe and loved. And I don't feel that I really got that. I think that what I felt like was, even before I could totally put it into words, this isn't, this is not, I, I don't have what I need. When Rachel was 12 years old, her parents divorced.
3: Her mom was having an affair, but that wasn't the whole reason. She wanted to settle down less. He wanted to settle down more. Back then, Diane was working on a two-hour-long performance. Rachel has vivid memories of a show her mom put on at
2: Pepperdine. And so she dragged me out, you know, to, to California to basically help her, you know, to be with her, but also to help her prepare for this performance. And I, I knew the story so well by that time that I could do a uh, line prompting for her. The story she was telling is a
3: Sumerian legend with a feminist touch, Anana, the story of the world's first goddess. Diane, then 46 years old, single, liked to describe Anana as a story about the feminine beyond the maternal.
2: But it was also deeply embarrassing for me because... Inanna, it, there's a, a whole section on her sexuality and her courtship.
4: The art of love making, the kissing of the phallus, the art of song, the art of the elder,
2: the art you know, of the You know, I hero. remember very much the, the lines, Who will plow my vulva? Who will
4: plow my vulva? Who will plow my high field? Who will plow my wet ground? As for me, the young woman... Who will plow my vulva? Who will station the ox there?
2: Who will plow my vulva? You know, and just like watching your own mother, who was not married um, at that time, um, and who had different boyfriends, like, you know, in this very revealing outfit with weird flowers in her hair on stage yelling, who will plow my vulva, was a bit much for my teenage self.
4: Plow my vulva, man of my heart,
2: plow my vulva. How revealing was the outfit? My mother would probably mock me for saying it was revealing at all. I know she wasn't wearing a bra, which was like, what, to me, Um, but you couldn't wear a bra with this. It was like little straps, and it was flowy and low-cut and, you know, quite gorgeous. And so, therefore, you could see that she had a body. (laughs) So anything that revealed that you had a body was, by my definition, too revealing.
4: She leaned back against the apple tree. When she leaned back against the apple tree, her vulva was wondrous to behold. Rejoicing at her wondrous vulva, she applauded
2: herself. She did like to take her clothes off and go swimming naked in many places that we went. Give me some examples. <laughs> I will everywhere. I mean not on the street in New York City, but if we would go on vacation and there was a nice pool or an ocean, she did not understand why anyone would have a problem if she would go skinny dipping. So, you know, if there was like a shower that you would like, let's say, you know, rinse off after being in the ocean, she would just take her swimsuit off. And why would anybody have a problem with that from her perspective? You had a problem with it. I, I had a big problem. I wasn't, yeah, I was not taking my clothes off in public, nor, nor do I now.
3: Do you think she was aware of how uncomfortable it made you? Definitely. Rachel started fantasizing about how she was going to do family differently than her mom. I thought I
2: wanted to have four sons and I would do a lot of art projects with them and I would cook for them all the time and I would just really be a very different kind of mother than my mother. Why sons? I think because I didn't want to have a daughter because it would replicate that relationship that I had with my mother, which was so difficult. So if you have sons, then you can be the good mother. Because it's too difficult to have daughters.
3: Does the fantasy live up to the reality? Coming up, Rachel has kids of her own. Don't
0: go away.
4: <laughs> Advertisements.
0: Best Western made booking our family beach vacation a breeze. And it felt a little like <laughs> Time to go. Oh. Okay, kids, back in the room.
1: <laughs> Good
0: night. Life's a trip. Make the most of it. At Best Western.
1: Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off.
3: We're back. And remember that look Rachel gave her mom when Diane used to take off her clothes in public or When she'd get on stage and say something like this.
4: Who will plow my vulva? Who will plow my high field?
3: Rachel now has three sons, now 10, 17, and 18. And she's become the receiver of that look.
2: The other day, I was just sort of humming along and walking down the street. And I was sort of like, you know, moving a little. And, you know, you should have seen my 10-year-old, who's normally not very embarrassed by me, look up at me with this look like, are you serious? Please don't move your body like that. So I get it, you know. I, you know, I mean, I'm so much less embarrassing, I think, than she was. But to see that look in my kid's eyes, and you know, just, oh, mom is crying again because she's happy. Why can't she just not be that person? Why is she singing? You know. Just like Rachel fantasized, she only had boys. I do think that in some ways, even though I'm sad now that I don't have a daughter, there are ways in which having three sons releases me. They don't look at me and, and, and worry in the same way, ugh, I don't want to end up like her. They don't ex- they're not going to be me. They're, they might be their dads, they might, they, they might not be. But there's a different dynamic, I think. There's a line from your book, it's strange in a way
3: for a woman to have
2: one daughter, like replacing herself. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Do you think your mom saw you that way?
2: Well, I think she was pretty competitive in a certain way. I think that that on the good side, she always expected me to be like a powerful woman and to work and to have a mode of expression on the other hand, I think that when I got close to being a powerful woman with a mode of expression, it was pretty uncomfortable for her. Rachel became her
3: own kind of storyteller. She's an author. One of her books called Home Birth has been featured on this show in episode 29 with her co-author Arielle Greenberg. Rachel's book, Museum of Accidents, was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award. Her mom taught storytelling. Rachel teaches poetry. Her mom had a radio show, and Rachel has a podcast now called Commonplace, where she interviews writers. And I'm a mom and a wife and a person. That might seem obvious, but Rachel's identity as a mom and a wife is all over her writing. After a close friend asked Rachel to help her give birth, she became a trained birth doula, a job that's basically about mothering mothers. But when Rachel became a mom, her relationship with her
2: own mom only got more fraught. I have adult friends who are loving and supportive, but also are like, God, your deal with your mother is just never ending. Like, why can't you just see your parents as people who, you know, just did the best they could and, you know, whatever, move on. And I'm not really able to.
3: A lot of their arguments came from their different parenting styles. Once, when Diane was watching Rachel's boys, she left them alone, just like how she'd leave Rachel alone when she was a kid. They had a fight, and a few hours later, Rachel got a call. Hi,
2: I'm in the emergency room. You know, I was feeling fine until we had that fight on the phone. I, that's all, and, but I felt fine. And then I called the EMTs, and now I'm in St. Vincent's. And I was like, What? Guilt trips like this would
3: fill Rachel with rage. Like, seriously, I can't disagree with you without putting you in the hospital. One day, Rachel was teaching, and she said something she's always telling her students. Make sure to write what you're most afraid of. And then I thought, well, what am I most afraid to write? And I was like, oh, obviously, about my mother. Which is nuts, because Rachel's poetry for the past 19 years has focused on motherhood and womanhood. She's written about pregnancy, miscarriage, giving birth, nursing, attachment, monogamy, often about the difficulty of being a mother. But that most vexed, most difficult relationship of her whole life with her own mother,
2: she's barely addressed it. It's like hot somehow. Like when I would get close to writing about my mother or talking about her in therapy in a certain way, like it it, it was like a change in my body. Like it wasn't like
3: writing about other stuff. So Rachel decided to take a dose of her own medicine and write about the things she was most afraid of. She started a book called Mothers in this kind of prose poetry style. Here's a line from it.
2: Which does my mother prefer, to be thought of or to be thought of rarely but happily?
3: Diane's not the only mother in the book. Rachel also writes about friends and writing mentors, her dual instructor, and about her own self as a mother. But when she writes about Diane... You can see what Rachel means by it feeling hot, like this one passage in which Rachel learns more about why her parents got divorced. Rachel writes it as a transcript of an iChat exchange she had with her mom as a grown-up.
2: At the time, Diane was in Taiwan. My mother from Taiwan. When we met, he was in a relationship but not married. We were friends for two years, then we slept together, and it undid both of us completely. He then broke off with the woman he was with, and within six months asked me to marry him, and I said, I can't. I am married. I have a family. I can't. But he said, but you love me. So it went that way. The book really unearths a lot of their family dirt.
3: There's a scene about Rachel and her dad going out for breakfast on the weekend and running into the man Diane had an affair with. Her dad says loudly, you should be ashamed. There's also a scene where Diane calls Rachel the night after Rachel went in for a breast biopsy. Diane had wanted to go with her. Rachel had said no. So Diane said she was just calling to say that Rachel's dad had affairs too. Mother's the book, it took nine months to write. Rachel was scared to tell her mom that she'd written it, that she'd found a publisher. So she decided to wait until she was away in
2: Paris to share the news. And I thought... This will be the time that I can tell my mother about this book because I'm so far away that she can't. And then I don't know what. I don't know what I thought was going to happen, but it was like, she can't. I don't know. She can't hurt me. She can't reach me. She can't. Like I'm in a different time zone. There's an ocean. I don't know. I just was like, this is the this is the time and the place.
3: I just like, how you needed
2: physical distance. she I'm telling you she's a very powerful person. Like no joke. Like this is somebody who, you know, had, like, gone to India and been reborn and, like, knew a lot of stuff about, you know, what some people would call magic. Like, you don't under Like, I think it was a little crazy on my part, but not totally crazy to be afraid of her. So with the notion safely between them, she had send. Her first response was, I'm so glad you wrote this. I've read it twice. Um, Within a few days, I started getting emails that were were like, we have to talk about this. You know, I I don't, I'm very upset. When Rachel
3: came back to New York, they met up to talk about the book. But one talk wasn't enough.
2: They met weekly. For months, almost always, it was at the kitchen table. Um, I can even like really picture her very, very clearly. She had a very specific diet um, at that point in her life, and she would ask me to make food for her. What was the diet, and what would you cook? Well, she didn't eat wheat or dairy or you know anything. She she had a lot. I don't know if she'd gotten a parasite somewhere, but she had a lot of digestive. Um, issues. So I remember making her um, quinoa and um, kale, this steamed thing with a little bit of goat cheese because she was always cheating. Um, Like she would be like, I can't eat this, 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 and this, but do you have any chocolate chip cookies? Diane would often bring up
3: what her friends thought of the book.
2: So one friend thought it was a terrible writer. One friend just read it and thought it was um, not true. Uh, One friend read it and thought, oh, I must just be a really messed up person. Diane was
3: pretty famous by now. Over two dozen books published. Joseph Campbell, a leading mythology scholar, he called her one of the greatest storytellers in the Western world.
2: There's even a Diane Wolkstein day in New York. Sometimes she would bring a copy that she had line edited, Um, sometimes she would bring a list of um, uh, topics that she wanted to discuss, either things that I had gotten wrong factually or feelings that she wanted to ask me about. They fought a lot about this particular passage. In 2007, I gave birth to my son Judah. I birthed him in a birthing tub at home in my bedroom under a potted ficus tree. It was painful and intense and exactly the birth I wanted. I was attended by my midwife, Miriam, and my doula, Terry. Josh and our two sons were there, and our babysitter and friend, Lindsay, was there too. The night after the birth, my mother showed up, uninvited, to our apartment. It had been a long day, and I'd just gotten into bed with my brand new baby for the night. My mother came into the room and lay down in bed with us. I didn't want her to touch us. Um, she she really was getting more and more distressed about the idea that I was going to publish this book. And um, she said to me, if you publish this book, terrible things will happen to me, to you, and to your kids. When she said that, I was like, oh, that's what I was worried about. I think she went and picked up Judah from school, and I heard her playing in the other room with him, and I remember lying in bed, just being devastated. Um, and then she left without saying goodbye. Diane headed to Taiwan to study Mandarin.
3: and it's time for Rachel to decide whether or not she would publish this book, you know, and risk these terrible things happening to her and her kids.
0: Stay with us. Say Advertisement. Hi, Good job. Best Western made booking our family beach vacation a breeze, and it felt a little like.
1: <laughs> Time to go. Oh.
0: ok, kids. Back in the room
1: <laughs>
0: Good night. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western.
1: Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off.
3: We're back. And since this is a story about storytellers, I'm just going to let you in really quick on my storytelling process. It shouldn't surprise you to know that when an interview begins, I generally know where it's going. And the guest knows that I know where their story's going too. Rachel was especially aware of this. Okay, so. Yeah.
2: <laughs> You're like, you just warmed me up for this. I know. <laughs> Come on. Rachel
3: gestures at me, like, bring it. What she happened? died. <laughs>
2: yeah. No, sorry. Um, Who killed her? <laughs> I did. The big reveal. Okay, so. This is the story of the greatest guilt trip
3: of all time. A guilt trip so piercing, so all encompassing, it left the daughter convinced she'd killed her own mother. When Diane left for Taiwan, Rachel had to decide if she was going to go through with publishing this book. She sent her mom
2: an email. I basically said, I am going to publish this book. I don't agree with you that terrible things are going to happen, and I don't think it's cruel, and if I don't publish this book, I don't know how I can ever publish anything else, and I hope I'm I'm willing to make changes, um, the changes you've asked for and other changes. I, I really think it's going to be okay. I know this is upsetting for you, but this is my decision, and I didn't hear anything. Diane forwarded Rachel's email to some of her friends. She wrote, Rachel has broken my heart and saying, you know, not very nice things about me.
3: A few hours later, Diane called the front desk at the hotel and asked for an ambulance. She was experiencing chest pain.
2: At that time, I crazily exercised at 5.30 in the morning before my children woke up. I came home at around like 6.15 and the phone was ringing and... It was um, the consulate in, um, it was the American office in Taiwan. They said, you know, we've been trying to reach you, we've been trying to reach you. You know, your mother has been, uh, is in heart surgery. And then my mother's therapist called to say that my mother had been rushed to the hospital, that she had um, an aortic dissection, and was being transferred to another hospital for an emergency heart valve replacement surgery, that she had been told that she had like a 50-50 chance of surviving this surgery and that um, she had asked her therapist to call her brother and let him know what was happening. And she had asked the therapist to call me and to tell me not to publish the book. Um. Yeah. Rachel had to decide
3: if she was going to get on the plane or not, if she would rush to her mother's bedside in Taiwan. And maybe it was the grief or the shock, but Rachel couldn't shake this feeling
2: that maybe this was the curse her mom had talked about. To me, I was like, well, this is how it comes true. You know, I published the book. My mother has heart surgery, I get on a plane, the plane clearly is going to crash, my mother's going to die, and this is the terrible thing that will happen to my children, you know, that we'll both be dead. And I was like, well, I can't, what, how's that, you know, it just seemed completely clear at that moment that that was how the, this curse, which is what it felt like, was going to play itself out.
3: In her book, Rachel writes about calling the hospital in Taiwan that day. She told them who she was. You're her American doctor? They asked. No, I'm, I'm her daughter, Rachel said. Her doctor? No, her daughter. She's my mother.
2: Oh, they said. She never said she had a daughter. She was really upset. Whether being upset causes an aortic dissection or not, people have lots of different theories on. Diane did not wake
3: up from surgery. Rachel didn't go to Taiwan to turn off the heart and lung machine. She said goodbye on speakerphone. A rabbi in Australia chanted in Hebrew on another phone. And friends of Diane's in Taiwan gathered around her, chanting Buddhist prayers in Chinese. Through the phone, Rachel said, I love you. I'm sorry.
2: You know, even if we had been on good terms, I still might have felt that I had somehow done something wrong by not being there for her. And now, oh my gosh, it's, you know, layers and layers of of blame. I certainly felt emotionally for a long time that, like, I had literally killed my mother. Rachel's a professional writer, but something she'd written she believed had killed her mom. Do words have the power to do that? I definitely felt that I would never write anything ever again. Think about... When you asked me earlier on for some examples from stories, those stories are in me. So it's, it's every time I come into contact with any of those stories, it's right there for me. So five years have
3: passed. Do you think today that you killed your mom?
2: No. I don't. I think... You know, I don't think I killed her. I sometimes worry (laughs) that I still feel that I killed her. I know that seems like I'm really being a semantic, you know, lunatic there. But, I mean, I think um, in a weird way I'm the one who's left having to forgive myself and her. um, But really without her participation in that. Which I think is, you know, it is natural for parents to die before their children. And I think that most adult children feel that there's unfinished business of some kind. I think this particular way in which this story ended so dramatically between us has really made it difficult for me as a mother, as and as particularly as a writer, as like a, a person of how like I'm constantly, for five years, trying to work through in all the small and large moments of my life. Like, am I a bad person? Did I kill my mother? Should I publish this? Should I write this? What should I do? Am I okay? Am I going to kill someone else? There's also the freedom, though, of
3: being the kind of
2: mom her
3: mom never was or never seemed to want to be. When
2: my Uh, son went away for the first time at age 17, I wept for like two hours.
3: Is any part of you jealous that she was able to
2: separate like that? Oh, God, yes. I mean, that's, you know, thank you for asking that because it's so complicated because there's another part of me that, you know, I'm 46. And I'm a little sick and tired of being the person who makes dinner every night and doesn't have any affairs and stays home and, you know, fits it in. On
3: the night Diane died, she sent an email to her therapist, included a draft of three paragraphs she wanted Rachel to include at the end of her book. Rachel did wind up publishing Mothers. And in the last pages, you can read Diane's edition. She says she loves Rachel. She grieves that they never had the kind of relationship she also wished for. And then she asks her again not to publish the book. Rachel says she put this book out there as a way to start a conversation between mothers and daughters about the expectations we have for those relationships. Tell us yours at thelongestshortesttime.com in the comments for this episode. That's episode 159. This show is produced by me, Andrea Salenzi, with Kristen Clark and Jackie Sajiko. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hilary Frank. And hey, we are hiring a new producer. We're looking for a skilled tape cutter, someone in the New York City area who is passionate about the topics of women's reproductive health and diverse family relationships. For more information, just visit longestshortesttime.com slash jobs. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Peter Clowney, Antoni Akatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Raika Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next week on The Longest Shortest Time.
2: Well, I don't know if if you
1: remember the name of my gorilla, but it's Amy the Boy Gorilla. This is Karen. When he would sit on the bed, maybe he crossed his legs. And, you know, he just seemed kind of like a civilized, elegant guy, like a teacher that you would trust.
3: And Amy the Boy Gorilla, he was her imaginary friend. A
1: six-foot-tall gorilla would just be in my bedroom and, and... that seemed perfectly, perfectly natural to me.
3: You won't want to miss this and so many other imaginary friend stories on next week's show. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we'd love to hear about what's been challenging, weird, funny, or surprising about your life as a parent. And right now we're working on a show about getting a hysterectomy. We're looking specifically for someone who had one, and then became mom. Is that you? Go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the Participate tab,
2: and submit your story. But are your boys allowed to write about you? Oh, my! that's so... Wait, you ask me such good questions at the end? You ask me such good questions at the, Yes. Yes.
4: Da, 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 da.
0: stitcher I say it. Okay.
1: Da-da-stitcher.